I can invite you to remain standing. Our scripture that comes this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning. And I want to thank everyone who took invitation cards last Sunday. Uh, For those of you who were not in worship last Sunday, as part of our conclusion to the That's Good News sermon series, uh, we focused on invitation. And as part of that, we had business cards printed up for you to carry with a basic invitation to the church. One side, uh, you can see them on the screen, I don't have to describe them to you. Uh, But you'll see one side is is just the name of the church and a picture, and on the back is a QR code uh, that takes people to to our website And then also it provides just the most basic information, the address and the worship time. The cards are supposed to be tools to help you to make the invite to invite others to church. When the Holy Spirit prompts you or when you're talking to someone and they mention that that they're looking for a church or they're thinking about attending church or they are not part of a church, my guess is you think, well, maybe I should invite you to my church. And if you're like me, I think sometimes you don't, you don't feel sufficient. And so hopefully what these are going to do is going to be able to, for you to say, here's what's meaningful to me. I go to First Methodist. Here's our information, and that's it. You don't have to make the sale. You don't have to spend all this time explaining or persuading to them why this church meets your needs, except to say this church is important to me, and I participate in the life of this church, and here's the information. We'd love to have you. Which I think is a lot easier if you think about, you know, needing a three to five minute speech and uh, some argumentative points to prove your point and, and do whatever you need, you need to do. You don't got to do that. Our job is to make the invitation and then God's job is to take over from there. And that's all we can do. I read research this last week that um, only 2% of Christians invite others to church. And if we wonder about the state of the church in our nation, I think that's probably part of the reason, don't you? As we're just unwilling or unable to do it. And so hopefully this is a way that we'll be able to change that. 
also read that 90% of the folks that are unchurched that would consider going to church, they're just waiting on an invitation. If they've never attended church, they may not know how to get involved in a church. They may not know what it's like to come through these doors and, and they're worried of feeling judgment or something else. If they've fallen away from church, it could just be that they're embarrassed, that they know where they need to be and they just don't know where, to get, how or, where or how to get restarted. And so what matters should be our joy and our desire to help them experience the same joy and the same desire and the same opportunity that you and I receive from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to make the invite and then let God do the rest. If you don't have cards, they're in a welcome center and they're in a basket in the welcome center. I know last Sunday we ran out, but we have plenty this Sunday. Uh, I didn't bring them all from my office, and so I apologize for those that were looking for them. But we have them today. I encourage you to take them. We're going to be pushing these for the next year at least. Because I think one of the most important things you and I can do about our faith and and to take our faith seriously is to invite others to be a part of something that we've discovered for ourselves. Because I think all of us can agree that our life is better because we're followers of Jesus Christ. If anything, I hope every one of us can say, my life is better because I have chosen to follow Jesus. I've accepted His grace. I've accepted His forgiveness. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to guide my life in a way so that I'll live in a way that would be different otherwise. All right, so this morning we're going to be starting a new sermon series. I'm calling it 3T as we look at time, talent, and treasure. Uh, As I thought about this series, I kept thinking to myself, 3T means something else. And so I was thinking, well, is it a brand? Well, I mean, no, that's an adhesive company, right? 3M, so no. Uh, What else? What does 3T mean? And then I got to realizing is uh, one of my good friends in high school, we played soccer together, we grew up in church together, we um, you know, went to college together, and he has a race car that's 3T. His name's Todd, so there you go. Uh, we used to go watch him on Friday nights. Uh, in high school, we thought it was pretty cool. He put our names on the trunk lid of his race car. Um, and so there you go, 3T. Although I don't have a picture of it, I couldn't find one online. And regrettably, he's not on Facebook, so I can't give him a shout out in that respect. But 3T, there you go. Uh, So my goal over the next three weeks is for us to look at three parables of Jesus. And in these parables, I want us to see how Jesus taught his followers how we are to use our time, our talent, and our treasure to to bless God and to bless others. I hope we can look at them and see how our life reflects our faith in each of these areas. And so today we're going to start with a parable that gets us thinking in this instance about how we use our time. Although if you read what Jesus said, he also talks about how we offer mercy, right? But I think what we're going to be able to see, and if we look at it through the idea of how this helps us to apply our time, I think we're going to see how the parable of Good Samaritan does meet us in that way. So I want to begin this morning by inviting you to think, have you ever taken any time to think about how you use the time that God expects you to use. Have you ever taken the time to consider that the time you've been granted by God is a gift from Himself to you? As I've thought about this question and wrestled about it for the last week and a half or so, I think for many of us, when we face death of a loved one or someone else that that died too soon, uh, sometimes we take an evaluation of how we use our time and how we use it better. 
Maybe we think about our overall life and, and the way that we lived in response to God or the way that we have lived in response to His grace. But what about if we evaluated and assessed our time in the way that we live it each day in a 24-hour period as a gift from God? So instead of looking in this broad swath of our life, the, the overall view of our life in terms of time, what if we look at it in a daily way? Weighing each day on its own merits, weighing each day on what we have done, weighing each day on what God has done for you. And as we think about it in a biblical sense, Let's think about how God wants us to use the time each day that we have been given for His glory. For our first passage of Scripture on time, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. In 1 Corinthians, you just a quick reminder, Paul's writing to a church that's in conflict. They're a church that's being challenged by the worship of other gods. They're a church that's being challenged by false idols. They're a church that has false teachers coming in behind Paul that's trying to spread a different message. There's controversy on whether Christians should be eating and drinking with non-Christians. And so to them and to us, Paul writes these words. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. See, friends, Paul understood that everything that you and I have been given is from God and that everything that we do can be done to glorify God. And if you look at that, and if you think about that, that's how Paul lived his life, didn't he? If you think about his trials, if you think about his persecutions, if you think about the times that that he was able to share the gospel and start churches and encourage others, he allowed this thought to influence how he lived his life and how he pursued the gospel. We can do that too. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, including using our time that God's given us itself. Before we look at the parable from Luke, I want to invite you to think about your own schedule from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed. How do you use your time? You don't have to answer me because there's enough of us that we'd be here for the next couple of hours. But... uh, Do you structure your day in a way that you allow yourself time to be in touch with God and to be in touch with others in a meaningful way? Do you structure your day in a way that you have time to, to practice and engage your faith? Do you have time set aside during the day to do the normal things, the things that have to be done each day? And if we look at it in a spiritual sense, do we set aside time to read our Bible or to study, to pray, to engage with others? Well, so on the other side of that, have you ever taken the time to think about what things prevent you from doing that? Or maybe the things that keep you from getting stuff done. My guess is for many of us, we have a many, uh, many different reasons for either A, why we're able to do things, or B, we're not. Maybe it's projects that we think will take a short bit of time. You know, in our house, Mindy always asks me, well, how long is this going to take? And I usually say, ah, about 15 minutes. And she says, all right, I'll see you in an hour. And usually she's more accurate on the estimate, estimate of time than I am. And so sometimes we just misjudge things, and that just happens, right? 
Maybe it's projects that take a little longer. Maybe it's other things that, that are just, you know, they just take a little more than we think. Maybe it's this little thing that I have on the screen. Um, although there's some old ones there. Uh, you know, I use my phone to do important things, like an alarm clock. It's my calendar to text and to keep track of my daily life. Uh, my children would be stranded half the time if they didn't have the ability to text Mindy or I and let us know that they were done and they needed a ride or something else or needed food. Uh, but there's also a lot of things I do on this thing that, that waste my time. Who's ever gotten lost on YouTube or videos or Facebook or whatever it is? To where you're sitting there and often you realize after a period of time that has been far longer than you anticipated or even planned, that you've spent way too much time than you ever intended. Of course, it's not just our phones. It's all sorts of other things that we can apply this to. Whether it's TV, whether it's reading things, whether I mean, it's whatever it is. I'll let you plug that in for yourself. And then I want to invite you to think, how much more time would I have available in my day if I planned and if I structured it to use the time that God has given me for His glory as well? This morning we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Jesus begins by saying, our, here's the, what Luke writes, he says, On one occasion an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The teacher of the law answers, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to begin by looking at how this parable is set up. Jesus is approached by an expert of the law. The expert of the law isn't coming to ask Jesus for clarification. He's not coming to Jesus to, to find out something to help him change his own behavior. He is coming to Jesus what? The scripture tells us, Luke says, an expert of the law stood up and he approached Jesus in order to test him. So the man is coming to challenge Jesus either to A, trip him up, to B, get the crowds upset, or better yet, to get Jesus to say something against God that was considered blasphemy. If Jesus was tried and found guilty of blasphemy, then he would have been stoned. So we have to remember the reason that Jesus is engaging in this parable is not because people are wanting to find out more, but because this expert of the law is coming to trip him up. This is also early enough in his ministry. This is Luke 10. So there's still 14 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And so in Luke's ministry, in Luke's Gospel, this is early enough that Jesus, the, the Pharisees are still trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. They're still trying to figure out what he's teaching. They're still trying to figure out if his teaching in some way really does reinforce what they're teaching and how they're living a Jewish life. And so the teacher of the law is coming to him, this expert, to test him. And he asks Jesus two questions. How do I receive eternal life? Jesus responds. And then he asks him another question. Who is my neighbor? You'll see when they talk, when the, the, the man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's not a checklist that, that Jesus has him compile later. He's not creating a, a checklist for faithful followers to, to check off what they've done. 
Jesus is doing something more important. He's getting this man to think about how if he is to receive eternal life, we have to experience, this man is supposed to experience the change of heart that comes only through God. See, you cannot change your heart through ritual. Ritual can help you to grow closer to God. It can help your heart to be open to God, but the ritual itself does not change your heart. You cannot check off all the boxes when it comes to living a faithful Christian life in order to achieve salvation. You have to love God so much that the love for God that you have in your heart and in your soul and in your mind and in your strength changes everything else within you. And then the man says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when Jesus says, you're correct, what does the man say? It says, the expert in the law decides to go a little further. He wanted to justify himself, so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? You'll notice the expert in the law is not asking Jesus, who do I love? How do I love? He's not asking, in what ways should I practice love or show love to others? He just goes to the heart of it and wants Jesus to answer him. And Jesus' response was not an answer in the way that the man expected, but it was the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. I think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't give us the motivation for why the priest passed the man by. He doesn't tell us why the priest crossed to the other side of the road to pass him by. You'll notice this is between Jerusalem and Jericho. And so if the priest is going to Jerusalem, it's very likely he's going to Jerusalem because it's his month or his week or his period of time to serve in the temple. If he comes in contact with blood, if he comes in contact with a man that's injured on the side of the road, he very well is going to be disqualified then. He's going to be considered unclean. And so he passes the man by. Maybe that's the reason he left the man on the side of the road. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Oh, so the Levite didn't have the cleanliness requirements that a priest did. But he could still be unclean by touching a corpse. Perhaps he was more worried about the risk of the robbers winging in wait for, to, to fall upon whoever was stopping to assist this man. Maybe the Levite was worried that he was going to become the second victim. I don't know. But see, then Jesus says, But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of robbers? Of the three, the Samaritan we know is the one who stopped to help the man. He chose to use his time generously. And I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't expand on anything else for the priest or the Levite. All he does is allow us to speculate. Which sometimes speculation is worse than the facts, isn't it? 
I mean, if you think of things you're told about people, then, you know, sometimes our speculation goes far worse than the truth of what's really going on in their life. But I think the thing that's important in this is, is for Jesus, the why doesn't really matter for that. Because the why for him is why did the Samaritan stop to help this man? Why did the most unexpected man in the story stop to provide aid, to provide assistance? The Samaritan. If you look at the map, the Samaritans had been separated from Israel since King Solomon's death, when the northern kingdom split off in 720 B.C. Or, no, it wasn't, 786, sorry. In 720, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And of course, there was a great turmoil there, resulting in leading citizens of Samaria being settled throughout the Assyrian Empire. And so the people that remained in the northern kingdom were called Samarians, Samaritans because their capital city you know, was Samaria. Samaria is where they offered sacrifice to God on Mount Gerizim. Samaria is where they continued to worship and continue to worship there today. And so when people returned after the Babylonian Empire fell, there was conflict because the Samaritans said they were the one true worshipers that had remained in the land of Israel and had continued the worship of God in that place. Those that returned to Jerusalem, the Judeans, said no, worship continues in the temple and this is where it's going to be held. And so that's why they're, they're at odds. They considered each other sinners. They considered each other unclean. They were enemies of each other. And so the Samaritan is the one who stopped. He went to his saddlebags and he got the oil and bandages needed. He loaded him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. But see, here's where I think we can look about this in time. Because I think if we look at this through the lens of time, what we see is the Samaritan man gave of his time, he gave of his resources, he used his time for the man who was lying on the side of the road. He made himself available, didn't he? I mean, we have to take a spiritual look at our own use of time. I always think of time, if I think of how I'm misusing it, who's better than the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland? I'm late, I'm late for a very important day. I mean, the rest of the movie's kind of trippy and weird, but, um, <laughs> but this part's good, right? It's kind of an odd one. Uh, but see, I think all of us can look at it and see if we're, not, if we're truthful about our time and about how we use it. We can see where we so fill ourselves with things to do that we run the risk of never getting connected, of never really getting involved, of being too busy to stop or to care for others, or of even being too busy to even be aware or open to the Holy Spirit prompting us in our lives. That's not what God wants for us. And I don't think that's why Jesus was teaching this parable. I think if we look at it, we have to reframe our idea of how we use time in service to God. And I think the first thing we have to do is we have to begin by acknowledging that our life is God's first. And the time that we have been given by Him is a gift that He has given to each of us. In the book of Job 14 verse 5, it says, A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So Job believed and Job said to those who had gathered with him that God had numbered his days. Now I don't know if God has set a specific countdown for my life. I hope it's a big one. But I do know 
that the choices that I make in my life impact my health, they impact who I am, and they impact my quality of life. And I believe when it comes to time, we have to start viewing the time that God has given us to use as an asset for His glory. And that may mean we need to adjust our schedules. It may mean we need to look at how we're the best stewards of the time that we have been given. It may mean that we need to look at our day and think about how we structure what we do. Do we fill our days so full that we don't have time to breathe? Are we running behind to where we're constantly trying to to catch up? To where when the Holy Spirit does prompt us, we're like, God, I hear you, but not right now. i got to get going. Are we so full that we don't even have time to stop and connect with someone or even pray or even invite or do whatever it is that God's laid on our hearts to do? Friends, in our spiritual lives, we have to ask if we're crafting time in our day to connect with God in a meaningful way. Do we provide opportunities for us to serve others? to connect with others, or at least be in the position like the Samaritan when we're passing them by to stop and take a minute to check in with them. So in my own life, I've found when I've had to structure, think about structuring time, the best time for me to connect with God is in the morning, preferably before my family wakes up, (laughs) Um, mainly because once they are up, things get going. Now I'm not perfect about this, but I've, I read you know, the, the daily Bible reading on version that, that we've been doing, the classic Bible, in one year. In the devotional, there's a short theme for the day and then usually about five scriptures that back it up. In addition to the daily reading, I shared with you all a few months ago, or a couple weeks, maybe six weeks ago, that I've been using the daily wake-up call from Seedbed. Seedbed sends out a daily wake-up call email. It's got scripture, and then it's about a six-minute devotional thought. You can listen to it. Or you can read it for yourself. Now I will add that when he sings a hymn, the, the guy who does them, J.D. Walt, sings a hymn at the end of the devotional thought. And he does it a cappella, and he's not a professional singer. And um, I'll be honest, that really doesn't work for me in my spiritual life because I sit there and I think, man, this is not as good as I wanted it to be. And so I usually just stop it at the hymn, when he ends with the prayer and then starts to go into the hymn. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Um, Because for me, that's what works. Maybe for you, you'll listen to the hymn. You'll sing along and and life is good and that's okay because that's how you connect with God. I think we can be realistic in how we connect with God, can't we? And I think we can acknowledge that what works for one person does not work for the other and doesn't have to work for the other. But I think we can all acknowledge that if we're not in the word of God, we're separating ourselves from God himself. So when me, in my adjustment of time, so the daily wake-up call, I try and do before the girls are going in the morning. But, you know, with volleyball season, that means we don't know whether we're at school at 7 or 7.15 or 7.35 or 7.40. And so you'll find me in the back parking lot of the church listening to it in my truck <laughs> because otherwise I get distracted with good things, with people, with conversations. But if we're talking about structuring our time to help us stay connected with God, we have to be willing to do things like that. Because then what that does is it sets us up for the rest of the day. We have to look at our time and the way we use it to be like the Samaritan, to be open. 
when there comes an opportunity for us to have a meaningful conversation with someone else, when there comes an opportunity, when you're talking with them about what's going on and you mention church or they ask you about church and they're looking for a church, we got to have time to say, you know what, this is important to me, I want to invite you. Because if your time is so filled, you're never going to have that chance. Or if you do have the chance, you're just going to pass it by. But I can also tell you this, I can't craft your day for you. Just like I can't tell you how to perfectly live your spiritual life, but I can give you tools. And I can help you and tell you and show you. But you've got to do it for yourself. You've got to claim it for yourself. Because you're the only one that can be assured of your own salvation. You're the only one that can make the prayer to Jesus. You're the only one who can ask forgiveness for your sins. Friends, you're the only one who can invite the Spirit to work in and through your life. I can't do it for you. I can pray that the Spirit will, and I hope it does. But you're the one that can do that. Because it's really hard for us to be open to the Spirit's prompting. If we view everything that we have, including our time, as our own and not from God. It's hard for us not to be hard-hearted to the needs of others when we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to feel what God is telling us. We can't be open to the Spirit's prompting if, if we're not really assessing where we are and who we are and claiming what we are as followers of Jesus Christ. So friends, we have to get a hold of our time. To do so is to be more open to God's Spirit as it moves in your life so that you can share God in the lives of others. And so as we go from worship this morning, I invite you to think of one thing. What's one thing that keeps me from being open to the Spirit's prompting in my time? And then I invite you to pray that God would help you change that one thing. Because our lives are changed when we pursue Jesus in a deeper way one thing at a time. It doesn't have to be a one time, like uh, everything at once. But it's Him changing us one thing at a time so that we can grow closer to Him and so that our lives can be a greater response to His grace. Not for our glory, not for lifting up, you know, what we do here, but for God's glory. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you today and we give you thanks for the gift of time that you have blessed each of us with. We give you thanks for the life that you breathe into us, uh, for the assurance and salvation that we have received, and for the very way that you work in and through us. God, I pray that as we think about time this morning that we, you would open our eyes to something that we can change, so that we would become more open to you and your working, so that we would be more aware of your Holy Spirit, and so that we could be present in the times and areas that you need us to be whether that's being like the Samaritan, meeting someone in their need, whether it's having a conversation with someone, or whether, Lord, it's just looking at the things that we do and the, the stuff that we put between us and you, helping us to clear it a little more out of the way or all the way so that we can pursue a life of faith in an even greater way with you. We ask and pray these things. Amen.